Hi, welcome to the Happiness Hive podcast. I'm Catherine Bowyer and I am completely fascinated by people and what motivates them. I've spent the past three and a half decades specialising in mindset and human behaviour and I've helped thousands of people to create happy and amazing lives. And now I am super excited to be chatting with women from around the world who I have secret and to be honest, not so secret crushes on. They're women who inspire me. I'm intrigued as to how they do life and what makes them tick. I want to find out their magic formula that makes them who they are. And at the end of the episode, I'd love for you to say, I'd like a little bit of what she's having. The conversations are real and raw. They're full of passion, inspiration and lots of fun. And nothing is off limits. So grab yourself a cuppa or pop on your trackie and go for a walk and join us for today's chat. There may just be that pearl of wisdom you need to hear. So let's shimmy on over and get started. I am really looking forward to today's chat with Ren Rowland. And I've only met Ren the last couple of weeks, but she has very quickly become a very important person in my life. And Ren is a canine behaviorist, studying to be an animal behaviorist. And we have acquired a new fur baby in our family. We have adopted Boston and we've had Boston for four weeks. And Boston, whilst he is absolutely beautiful, there are some behavioural challenges that Ren is helping our family with. So I'm so excited to talk with Ren today about what it means to be an animal behaviourist and also to compare some notes because I've studied human behavior for many, many years, and I can already see some similarities there. So, yeah. Ren, welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. You know, lovely morning today, bit overcast. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a bit overcast. And we were just comparing notes. Ren's house-sitting and has a couple of – she has her dog, and you're also looking after another dog that you said is a bit miffed that you haven't taken it for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't gone out for a walk yet this morning, so he's a bit annoyed at me. Yeah, yeah. So are your dogs sitting calmly? Are yours sitting calmly? Uh, yeah, so Asta is currently fast asleep in her crate and Caleb is, let's see whether I can, there's Caleb. Oh, lovely, sitting in the background. He's so just he's just doing his own thing. He's he's an older dog, so not quite as intense. Because <laughs> uh, your Asta is a puppy, isn't she? Yeah, she's only nine months old. Yes, yes. So, so we could, during this podcast, there could be an emergency stop for both of us because Boston, I've set him up with some dog chews, but he doesn't seem that interested. So tell me, Ren, what is a canine behaviorist? What, what, what a canine behaviorist, animal behaviorist? What, yeah. what is that? So the main thing that a canine behaviorist does, because I think that's probably the best way to sort yep, of sure. describe it. Yep. So we analyze um, canine behavior. So we, we go into houses and sort of have a bit of a look around the environment, have a look at the dog, show some of the body language that they're displaying and see whether we can't sort of help not fix necessarily because that's not always possible, but yeah. at least dampen some of the effects of, you know, things that have happened as a result of genetics or as a result of trauma in the past and sort of help them out. So in a sense, we're a little bit like psychologists, but yeah. not quite, I think is probably the best way to describe this. 
in a, a more general sense, a behaviorist is someone who goes in and works with animals to improve their ability to work with humans or at least be around humans. And everybody's expectation of animal behavior is different. So, you know, obviously in your sense, you know, you want a dog that is calm and and peaceful and, you know, not quite so anxious. (laughs) Whereas, you know, another person who has a, a working breed that they want to use they may need to decrease their dog's propensity towards nipping behaviours because they're nipping the sheep too much or something like that. So it really depends, you know, on on the needs of the person. But ultimately, our job is to help the dog fit in better with the people's lifestyle and show people how to adjust their behaviour so that the dog can fit in more smoothly. Uh, Yeah, I can... And that's exactly why we have you. We've got Boston. And for those that may or may not have seen some of my social media, Boston is a Kerry Blue Terrier. So is an Irish working dog. He was bred as a sheep and cattle dog, or that's the breed, and also to chase rodents. Now, that is not what we do in our in our house. Um, we under watch, though. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. And we're, we're Boston's third family. So the first family, I don't, my understanding is that he was born, I don't know if he was born on the farm, but he was on a farm, but he was kept in a pen. So he wasn't able to, it just wasn't a stimulating environment. And then the next family had him. And my understanding is it was a loving family, but probably not really integrating him into the family and then they moved out onto a farm and that's where his cattle instincts so he kept running away and chasing cattle and we have adopted him and probably not really understanding a lot about his behaviors they they said he was very well adjusted mildly anxious in new settings holly hell very (laughs) anxious in new settings and the thing I loved when when we got in contact with you when you first came to our place was I, I saw you observing the environment and observing Boston, but you said, what are our goals? What do we want? And very much all of our dogs have been rescue dogs. And I have always said, when I die, I want to come back as one of my dogs because they are the most spoilt, um, <laughs> spoiled things. <laughs> so I sort of shared with you that it's about integrating him into our family life and you were able to very quickly observe some behaviours with him. Yeah. So d- just tying back to what you said, that you very much were about observation of how he interacted with us and how we interacted with him. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's an important part because if you're trying to go in and work with a dog, but you have no idea how he interacts in his, I mean, even if it's not his normal environment because he's just come into it, yes. but if you don't know how, you know, his his behavior is in that environment where you know you're bringing him to a facility or something like that, then you don't get that sort of, I'm going to use a buzzword here, holistic experience yes. where you're yes. sort of hitting all of the areas of possible pain, I suppose. So, you know, you're you're adjusting the environment around him. You might be putting barriers up if he barks a lot or, you know, things like that. And so it's not just about training the dog 
or the people. It's also about assessing the environment that he's in. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I also, what I observed of you observing him is that you picked up some very, very nuanced body language because he's a furry. He was a furry dog and we couldn't even see his eyes, but you were able to observe things in his eyes that we couldn't even see. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. the whale eye? The whale yeah. eye? Yeah. What's that? Tell yeah, so whale eye. Whale eye or um, moon eye. I prefer the term moon eye personally, but it's not quite as widely used. Um, So the term whale eye basically refers to when a dog's eyes are open so wide that you can see the whites or the sclera really easily. And so it sort of takes the shape of a moon. Why it's called whale eye? Maybe whales have big eyes. I, whales have huge eyes, eyes yeah. and that's probably the best comparison <laughs> that I can give you. But basically the idea is that a dog will show that when they are in a, a state of heightened stimulation, usually in conjunction with anxiety, sometimes when they're about to start playing with you, but usually the body language will sort of complement and tell you which one that is. Yes. vast majority of the time it's going to be anxiety-related. Yes, and we hadn't even because we couldn't even see his eyes, and uh, and I guess that's from your professional observation. But you were able to sort of teach us that as well, which yeah. was great. And also picking up, like he was panting a lot, like he was. Yes, oh, he I know was panting. He was pacing. His body language was very stiff and uncomfortable. Yes. Every time I started patting him, when we first started, his tail would stop wagging. He was tolerating the contact. He wasn't enjoying the contact, which is a really important distinction because a lot of dogs are really patient and lovely, but they don't necessarily at that moment feel comfortable being patted. So they'll just sort of put up with it until it goes away. And I didn't want to have that sort of relationship with him to start (laughs) off with. So that's when I started bringing in the consent test where if he voluntarily made contact with me, then I'd give him a pat and then I would stop after, you know, 10 seconds or so and allow him to decide whether or not he wanted me to keep going so that's a really important thing when you've got a dog that's a bit uncertain about their new environment or weird around people it's really important to do a consent test and make sure that they're actually comfortable with you touching and approaching them yeah and that was something new for me because I think I intuitively do that with other animals but you just helping me to see that and I can notice his consent now he gets very he's still a bit standoffish so we've had him for a month now there's times when he doesn't want to be around and I respect that and there's times when he gets quite snuggly and it's that nuzzling in which was yeah that was good just to even understand more about what that body language is is saying I mean dogs are autonomous beings they're you know our current understanding of dog psychology is that a fully grown dog has got the approximate IQ of a two, two and a half year old child. Oh. So basically that is the age where a lot of mental development is happening in children. Yeah. And if we sort of not transplant directly, but draw a lot of parallels between the child behavior and the dog behavior, consent is really important at that age as well, because it yeah. forms that basis of I have control over my own body. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's I love those, those links there as well. And one of the things that I've observed is a lot of you coming in and helping us with Boston 
is actually helping teach me as well with and, and something that I picked up and reflecting on it and I guess this links with the the human behavior side of things is I was unsure about oh let me step back a little bit so Boston is a beautiful beautiful dog he seems to be settling in well but he has I would say you know that underlying sort of anxiety but when we talked about it when I leave when any when he's left on his own he goes into panic mode so it's that sort of isolation anxiety separation anxiety I guess they call it don't they yeah, so isolation anxiety is your overarching umbrella term and that underneath it has separation anxiety as sort of a category. So yeah. isolation anxiety is if you're being separated from something. Usually it's just people, but in in certain circumstances in separation anxiety, for example, it is the fear of being separated from a particular person. Yeah. Um, so even if there's other people around. Yeah they don't care that one person is not there. They're panicking. Yeah. And he's kind of showing a little bit of that, but also if he's on his own, goes into complete panic mode. And what I've learned from you is it's about understanding his his kind of body language and, and what motivates him to help keep him stimulated. Um, And that's one of the things we're finding a little bit tricky because I think from his environment is the first family probably didn't have a lot of stimulation and that's in that early developmental stages. And then I think the second family probably didn't have, they said he just didn't play and he kind of was a bit of a loner. So we're finding it a little bit tricky to find what motivates him, but that's the same in human people. Absolutely. People, what motivates them? If we understand what motivates them, it helps to, for people to be more engaged. Absolutely. Sometimes it's really tricky. So one of the the funniest things that I've come across, and I think I talked about this in your session, was this video of an English bulldog. And this bulldog apparently didn't respond to any of our normal motivators. So no treats, no toys, no affection. He just didn't seem to be responding. And so the trainer sort of asked, is there anything that really motivates him? And the owner sort of thought about it for a moment and said, he really likes spatulas, as in the cooking implement. (laughs) (laughs) And so what they did was they bought a rubber spatula. And that was his reward. And suddenly his training just took off. Oh, my God. I'll have to get my – Boston probably hasn't seen the spatula because I don't (laughs) do cooking. (laughs) um, But I might get the spatula out and see what he he does with it. Yeah, see what he does with it. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't found – it's hilarious. I, and, and finding the dog's motivator helps them then to go, okay, if I do this, I am rewarded. And it becomes a really positive experience because, as I'm sure you probably know, emotive learning is much stronger and more easily retained than rote learning. Yes, yes. And, and you see that a lot, don't you, with on the, the telly when they're training a lot of the drug dogs and the reward is often just, a, you know, a, some random bit of fabric rolled up or something like yeah. that, but that's obviously they've associated it's that with interesting being a motivator. To yeah, that's interesting yeah. to them. When they were, so this is a little bit of a, a sad but kind of cute story. Yeah. So after 9-11, they were using the, the search and rescue dogs to oh, yeah. look through yeah. the debris. Yeah. Yeah. And these dogs were actually getting depressed because every person that they found was dead. 
And so what they would do is they would get people to hide in the rubble so that they could find them and find them alive and be rewarded for that. And it's just interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What did depressed dogs actually, I think I know, but what, what were the signals of depressed dog? It's very similar to the ones in humans. So lethargy, lack of appetite, disinterest in exciting or, you know, sorry, disinterest in activities that they previously were interested in, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it's very, very similar. It's not very common. No. For me to come across a dog that's depressed, usually it's anxiety. Yeah, um, because you specialise yeah. in anxiety, don't you? And is it the aggression? Yeah. Anxiety well? and aggression. Yeah. yeah. How did you get mm-hmm. into this? How did you become a oh. canine behaviourist? What's- so I faffed around a lot after yep. year 12. I, I tried doing reception work for a little while and at that time, not not a good not a good choice. And then I was in childcare for about six months. Not a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do well with kids, apparently, oh, okay. <laughs> or at least oh. other people's kids. Okay. So then I decided that I wanted to try studying um, political science and international relations. Oh, yeah. And I got really, really sick right beforehand. Oh. And so I was literally navigating the campus on crutches and it wasn't, it didn't end well either. Yeah. I've lost most of the information that I got from that yeah. year of uni, yeah. except for all the stuff about linguistics, because uh, I apparently really enjoyed that. Interesting. Um, and then I tried studying IT. That didn't stick either. I'm not an office person. Yeah. And then I became a certified Auslan translator. Did you so, I did not know that. My yeah. mother-in-law and my father-in-law, who's passed away, they're profoundly deaf. There and you go. There you go. Oh, that's so awesome. My husband's first language was sign language. What is, that, is it Auslan? Or well, is his it... is just, uh, uh, they do use Auslan, but his is much more just how he talks to his mum like this and yeah. kind of made up stuff. But yes, yeah. it's really understands yeah. it's, it's. I think that's called home sign from memory. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm very clunky. That's... I'm very, the kids and I are very clunky with it. So, oh, so you became a, cool. I will plant that away for some reference. Thank you. There you go. So I, I'm not an interpreter. So there is a difference between yes, the two. Yes. I am not as qualified as an interpreter. Interpreters, you have to go, you have to get your diploma of interpreting and um, diploma of Auslan. I'm not that qualified, but for a little while I did translate for deaf kids in primary schools. Oh, wow. So wow. that was pretty cool. cool. Unfortunately, I then discovered that I actually have an audio processing disorder. And so in lab environments, I can't prioritize noises I can't block out noises and so as a result I had to unfortunately abandon that career path but I can still you know do the science I'm a bit rusty now (laughs) but uh yeah so then I sort of was like well what do I do now and it was actually my mum who said hey you're good with animals why don't you start working with dogs and I was like that's a good idea and four years later (laughs) Here I am. So because you have your own business, don't you? You, you you've yes. got your business running. So we'll give a little plug, Bowtie Dog Training. We'll give yeah. people details of that at the end as well. But running your business and you're the the behaviorist in that business. You have other people yes. who 
do some other training, but you're the, the, the canine. Business. I'm the person they call in when there's an issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So getting back to what we were saying. So you primarily focus, I mean, you do a whole range of things, but around the anxiety and aggression. Yeah. 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 So most of the time when people call me in, it is because their dog has showing signs of some behavioral problem. A lot of the times also I am called in for basic obedience stuff like puppy work and, you know, training dogs that have been adopted and things like that. But yeah, most of the time when I'm called in, it is for some form of aggression or anxiety like behaviors. It's interesting to note. So this is is something that um, people may not understand. Most of the time aggression is anxiety. Yeah, so sure. yeah, I could understand um, that. Yeah. Yeah. So we call it reactive anxiety and it's it's very similar to how humans pr- yeah. process sort of really severe fear yeah. Yeah. Uh, where they lash out. So that's that yeah. fight response. Yeah. And so uh if you have a dog that is aggressive as a result of trauma or just as a result of something that's inbuilt as part of their genetics, which can happen sometimes yes. unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, if you approach them too quickly, you move too quickly, then they can lash out as a result. Yeah. I have come across two instances of true overt aggression. Right. In four years. And that is more than a lot of people will ever come across. Yeah. And the other stuff is that anxiety reactive. Yeah. yeah. I can see that a lot, even with Boston. He, he doesn't show signs of aggression but just that response to the anxiety is, yes. you know, it, the, the barking at the front window. And one of the things yes. you showed us, which I thought was really cool, and it's really simple as well, is to acknowledge when he's barking, is to acknowledge him, to go down to the window, have a look, and then just kind of go, yeah, nothing there, and not make a deal about it. So it's not yelling at him and saying stop and you know, bad dog yeah. barking because he's doing a job. He's he's kind yeah. of that protecting. But when I go and acknowledge, and that's the same with people. When people are responding to us in a certain way, it's about, yeah. I guess, getting some insight into why they're doing that and to then acknowledge acknowledge them. Yeah, It's all about that communication. And as long as you're acknowledging that the communication is happening yes. and that you can understand that they're saying something to you, yeah then a lot of the time the problem will start to resolve itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I did notice this morning, actually, when he was doing that? And we live in a cul-de-sac, and I would have said it's a really quiet street. Do you know what? When you've got a new dog who is highly alert, (laughs) it is not a quiet street. (laughs) There is a lot of movement that happens in the street. And I noticed this morning that there was some movement up the street, and he was starting to have a bit of a bark, but he looked at me. And I just kind of went, no, it's nothing there. And he sort of was just like, come and it was almost like he was saying, come and have a look. As soon as I did that and just said, Boston, there's nothing like nothing here. Um, He just stopped and then just went to sleep. So is that good? Have I? Absolutely. It means he's progressing. So he's starting to look to you for acknowledgement and being like, okay, so I know that you're coming and and assessing these things. Whereas, you know, in the previous families, that may not have been happening. So basically what's happening here is you are breaking a habit and that is fantastic to hear. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's, that's, that's really cool. That's one of the things I, Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza has a book out called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. 
and the, he's got some really cool information in there. It's the same concept. It's about what are the mm. things that we no longer want, you know, the habits that we no longer want in our lives and be, being really familiar with them so we can actually make that change about what we do want in our lives instead. So that, that's same, 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 same. Absolutely. People versus animals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it, we might be more complex in many yeah. ways, but there are some things that really just translate almost directly across yeah. species. Yes. Yeah. And do you know what else I was reflecting on it as well is being unsure with Boston because he's got a personality that our other dogs have not had before. And mm. so being unsure of what to do and what I've learned that you've helped me to learn, Ren, is about being clear about what my expectations are and what the rules yes. are and being confident in communicating them to him. So when I was kind of a little bit, oh, I'm not sure what to do, I was wishy-washy with my commands. Whereas now that I'm kind of going, okay, these are the things that I need him to do. Even when you talked about, you know, on the walking the other day on the lead, you had said that he's just not even concerned with me. He's just, I'm just holding him back. Even though he was kind of polite, not polite, but he wasn't. He wasn't choking himself. Choking himself. But your observation was that all he sees me is as somebody that's holding him back, that I should be the most important person for him and he should be checking in with me. So when I got insight into that, it was just like, okay, so my commands need to be clearer and not wishy-washy. And I see that a lot. I work a lot with people in leadership roles and I see it a lot with new leaders when they're not sure of what to do, they're not confident in communicating their expectations. So the people that they work with then are unsure of what's expected of them. Yeah. So that was a very direct, the reflection I could see, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see that with the people that I coach and it's just given me maybe just a little different, example that I can use with them now yeah absolutely and I can tell you right now I've had to develop that confidence as well over time as everyone does when they step into a role that involves some form of leadership or authority yeah Yeah. like I there is no way that I could be talking to people in the way that I do now about dogs when I first started like even after the qualifications that I did or anything like that it is just you have to have that experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, yes, yes. And and when you get the experience, then it's kind of like, you know, realising all the bits you don't know. And yeah. then then it's about getting people to help you with the bits. Yeah. My, uncle, my uncle calls it Mount Stupid. Yeah. When you sort of start off with, I love you know, it. Yeah. I know everything. And then suddenly, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> I actually don't know. Do you know what? I look back on it even in getting Boston. And I was very conscious about when we were going to get another dog into the family. It's been 18 months since our last dog passed away. And we're very conscious that we didn't want to have an, we just wanted to have a break. And even just looking back in the process of getting Boston, you know, possibly there would be things I would have done differently, but I didn't. So it's about, you know, making that, that process as, as smooth as we possibly can for all involved. Yeah. What's like the weirdest behavior you've had to deal with? Is oh, gosh. Some, like, and we can protect the, we, we don't have to say the dog to protect their yeah, no, no, no. identity. Um, <laughs> uh, weirdest behavior. I'm not actually sure because oh, most okay. of the, 
most of the time when I'm called in, it's fairly bog standard for me. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> but uh, it may look weird to other people. So there are, are some dogs that will just constantly chew on their leashes. There are some dogs who will jump and nip. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. They'll just keep on doing it. Oh, weird behaviors, weird behaviors. I'm trying to think. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I was just thinking. <laughs> Maybe we'll circle back around say, to it. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't say Boston straight up. <laughs> yeah, no, but Boston, Boston, definitely Boston. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Are um, there any behaviours you yeah. haven't been able to change? You know how you said sometimes there's, you know, the heart of the breeding or the. Is there any been anywhere you've gone? Do you know what I haven't been able to help change the behaviour? Yeah. So there have been a couple of times. It's very, very few times where I've just flat out said, I can't help you. Yeah. Because most of the time we can make some form of improvement yeah. through training and sometimes even combining training and medication together if that's necessary. Yeah. But there are certain things that we cannot do through behavior modification. So for example, if you have a dog that is not social, we cannot turn that dog into a social yeah. dog. Yeah. It is like with humans. If you have an introverted person, yes. you cannot turn them into an extroverted yes. person. Yeah. So in that particular instance, we can go, okay, your dog is, for example, reactive on leash. Yes. We can get them to the point where they are tolerant yes. of people being in their general vicinity. But there's always going to be the risk that they will overreact if they are over threshold where they're just yeah. not thinking logically anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there, there are certain behaviours that we simply cannot fix. There are certain behaviours that we can't make happen. Yeah. But we can, at the very least, improve it. So with genetics especially, when you've got a dog that has a genetic predisposition to anxiety and that anxiety has sort of realised itself, that dog's always going to be anxious yeah. pretty much. I can yeah. I can guarantee you that dog is always going to show signs of anxiety in some form. Yeah but we can help them to become tolerant of being separated. Yeah. We can give them management techniques and things like that so that they can calm themselves down. But that dog's always going to have anxiety. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point, actually. It's not about going in there and being a miracle worker for every situation. It's about assessing the situation and also what's, you know, led to that. And, you know, Boston's four. We're the third family, so there is some understanding that yes there is going to be a, a readjustment process but I think he's going to be one of those ones that you know has and and you know maybe maybe once he's used to us a bit more have you noticed stuff since COVID have you been busier with COVID <laughs> yeah <laughs> has there been a lot of anxiety separation stuff oh yeah oh yeah our the amount of dogs that we got brought in for for isolation anxiety yeah. after COVID lockdown ended yeah. was insane because everybody got their COVID puppies because yeah. they were home yeah. and they were able to train the dog and take the time, but they didn't necessarily take the time to do separation work where their dog is tolerant of being by themselves and learning how to self-gain and be alone. And so as a result, when these people went back to work, their dog suddenly developed that isolation anxiety because the routine was completely changed. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. We got called in for a lot of those. The other thing that happens is during the COVID lockdown, dogs couldn't get socialized. Yeah. So 
we had a lot of dogs that ended up growing, you know, because obviously it's now been two years since COVID sort of began. So now we're getting dogs that are adults and are having issues with being around other dogs because they never actually learned those beginning socialization cues. So then we actually have to manually teach them though. So we use that, we use demonstration dogs who have been taught socialization cues or naturally do it yeah. to play with them so that they can be, they can teach them. And we also use intervention methods so that if we see the play getting a little bit too rough or one dog or the other dog starts to come, become a little bit uncomfortable, then we'll intervene. We'll calm the play down. Then we'll reintegrate. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, those two things really exploded. What would be just maybe one or two tips for the ice, the, the isolation, the separation anxiety that people could do it for any of our listeners if they're in that situation? Number one, call you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Call me, call me. I'm, I'm always enjo- enjoying, uh, you know, talking to you about isolation anxiety. Yeah. But the really, really biggest thing more than anything else is to understand that it is not your fault that your dog has isolation anxiety. That's probably the most important thing because some dogs, you can not give them any separation work at all and they will be completely fine when you leave them alone. Other dogs, because they have that tendency towards anxiety and that usually tends to be your poodle crosses. Yeah. So they tend to have that higher level of tendency towards that separation and isolation anxiety. They will then develop the anxiety because they had that tendency towards it built in. Um, So as a result of that, just remember that it's not necessarily your fault that your dog has anxiety. It is just that you happen to have a dog whose tendency towards it has been realized. So that's the really, really important tip. Yeah, no, I I think that's everybody. Because I felt that. Yeah. I felt, even though I rationally knew that it wasn't my fault, there was elements that I thought, oh my gosh, I've created it because, yeah, for a whole lot of reasons. But um, yeah. do you want to just give a plug for that book that you referred to me? Because yes. that was a so, good one. That was a good one. Yeah. The book that I usually recommend if your dog has isolation or separation anxiety is Julie Naismith's Be Right Back. She is an amazing dog trainer. She specializes in separation and isolation anxiety. That is her main area yeah. of expertise. And she basically has written this fantastic book. It is for people who are owners, not for people like me, but I also got a lot out of it. And uh, she basically gives you some really, really good information about anxiety in general. Some of the the training methods may or may not work with your dog because obviously the difficulty with a one-size-fits-all book is that you're working with living creatures and so one size does not fit all. But her methods are sound in principle and you just have to adjust them within that sort of framework of understanding. And that's what I absolutely found when you referred that to us and it was about, you know, what is the baseline for yeah. you know, how, when does he show some, you know, that stressed behaviour and then you have then helped to adjust the, the, the training to suit our environment which yeah. was really good. So that was really great. And just really quickly, I, I want to go on and ask you about some other things that sort of fill your cup. But one of that socialising, I've noticed, I've taken Boston to the dog parks a few times with 
varying degrees of success. But what I've noticed is some dogs are barky dogs and others play quietly. Barking doesn't always, to me, it's almost like, you know how some people like to talk a lot and some are more quiet? Is that... I mean, it's a very, very vague answer that I can give you here. Yeah, because yeah, that was um, a very vague question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So um, the difficulty with barking in yeah. general is that it can communicate a wide variety of different yeah. things. So when you've got, for example, schnauzers, I'm going to go with schnauzers yeah, yeah. because they are like the poster child for verbal play. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> schnauzers and dachshunds. So basically some dogs play or instigate play by barking. Yes. And so they'll stand in front of a dog that they want to play with and they'll bark and they'll show play language. But other dogs will bark to create space. And it's all about the tone that the bark is in and the body language that the dog is displaying. So usually a sort of higher pitched rapid bark is depending on the the space. It could mean anxiety or it could mean play. And so, yeah, it really, really does depend on the rest of the dog. So I know that um, my dog is quite vocal when she plays, but hers are all growls and it can be very funny. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) She tries um, to bark through it. Yes. And my daughter's, my grand fur baby, Mabel, she's a growly player, but she is, yes, yes. So, yes. So lots of, I, I guess, just holistic checking it out and just being cautious, I guess, too. Yeah. Tell me before we get to the end, what else fills your cup? Because you shared some stuff with me. You are (laughs) a beautiful, beautiful singer. Thank you. So I, just to preface this, I have ADHD. So, and autism as well, but the ADHD is the the main culprit here. I rotate my interests rapidly. Um, so sometimes I'll, I'll do wood work. So I, I learned how to restore antique furniture. Oh my God. And so I'll do that sometimes. Other times. You need to go do that with John. Like John's a woodwork teacher. You could go. Oh, there you go. It works with kids with disabilities with hearing. Anyway, we'll just park that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Later discussion. Yeah. Uh, Later discussion. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So I I learned how to restore antique furniture, not anywhere sort of official. It's just literally like Google how to do this. And uh, artwork. I do a lot of drawing, a lot of painting, that sort of stuff when I'm in that mood. Singing, obviously. I have a a lovely friend who is um, teaching me how to expand my range so I can get a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Yeah. And, you know, spending time with my dog, obviously, that's very important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And writing novels as well. So really so, creative. What I'm yeah. hearing there, Ren, is a lot of creativity yeah. that, that you, an outlet for you. Is and a lot of stuff with the hands. It's very important. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So the kinesthetic creativity. And when did you get diagnosed with ADHD? Has that uh, two years ago now. Uh, so I'm a late diagnosed baby. Can I ask how old you are? Can I ask how old? I'm 29 now. 29. Yeah. So diagnosed at 27. Did that? And that meant the autism was a year before. <laughs> so what's that meant for you? How how's life changed? Has life uh, changed, or has it just kind of? It has. It has yeah. a lot. So the autism diagnosis didn't make much of a difference. Yeah. I've never really 
found that it has impacted my life negatively, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. In fact, more than anything, it's actually positively impacted my life it, because yeah. I have special interests. Yes. But uh, the ADHD has been the thing that has been a huge impact on my life in a negative sense because of executive dysfunction. So I went through all of my learning years yes. because my special interest was actually learning stuff. I would just absorb everything like a sponge, but I never learned how to study. And so when I hit, you know, year 10, year 11, I realized that A, I wasn't as interested in learning anymore. And B, socializing was way easier. And so my grades went from like A's and B's, <laughs> wham, down into D's. And uh, Lucky I we got didn't hang out together. And, yeah. Oh, lucky we didn't hang out together because I would have been, yes, I was, um, learning was not my thing either. Yeah. Um, uh, but what did you I say? Got you got depression as a result. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I basically, that was the, the whole fapping about bit as well because yes. I was yes. like, maybe I should do this new sparkly thing. Maybe I should do this yes. new sparkly thing. And so, yeah. you know, it, it, it just got to the point where I was like, I don't know what's going on. Why am I having so much trouble? Even as a business owner, I was still having so much trouble yes. getting myself to do the things that I have yes. to do. And so then I went and I, I, I actually, I got onto TikTok. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists who specialize in ADHD who are on TikTok because that is the platform for people with ADHD. Serious. Wow. And it's that constant dopamine hit. It's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah interesting, interesting. <laughs> but uh, as a result of that, I realized that there were a lot of things that I was like, hang on, I relate to that, I relate to that, I relate to that. And so I went and got an ADHD assessment yeah. and I hit 12 out of the 14. Yes. <laughs> and it's quite an involved process, isn't it, to be yeah. with that ADHD assessment and things. So what what's changed for you now since you've had that I wore down some medication. So I actually went off my antidepressants and that was a huge step for me because I've been on them for six years. Yeah, sure. The wonderful thing, which I discovered later about SSRIs, is that if you take them when you don't actually have depression, it gives you depression. Uh, Yeah, that would make sense. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was basically giving myself depression. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I went off the antidepressants and onto ADHD medication. And for the first time in my life, my brain was quiet. Wow. I had never had a quiet brain. Wow. Yeah. And suddenly I could prioritize things. Suddenly I could do the things that I didn't actually want to do. Yeah. But I knew I had to do them. Yeah, yeah. And so that is when my business just took straight off. And that's different. What I'm hearing there is there is some things like in my business that I do not want to do and I procrastinate and I faff about. But what I'm hearing from you is that it was really affecting that executive functioning and that it was almost, these are my words, not yours, but that debilitating not being able to move through it. But the medication and the diagnosis has really been, because it is, it's a chemical So, you know, the the two things that that people with ADHD don't produce enough of um, is the dopamine and neuropronephrine. And they're they're both things that provide you with motivation to do the stuff that you need to do. If you can't have if you don't have that motivation, you're basically frozen. 
Yeah. You've got paralysis. You've got decision paralysis. And so yeah. you just go reach out for the nearest, easiest thing in my case. It's this little figure. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and you start scrolling through TikTok. You start scrolling yeah. through social media because that gives you little dopamine hits. And then that just reinforces the fact that you're lying in bed and not doing the stuff that you want to do or that you have to do. And it makes you depressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I, I, I get that. And I'm really, we could, we could chat, it, you know, yeah. lots, lots more about that because I think that could, you know, help a lot of people in just even understanding just that neurodiversity and, yeah. you know, people's different approaches to things. And, and I think also it's a good reminder about not judging, even though we've talked, you know, the beginning of the conversation was about observing behaviours, but it's not about just judging those behaviours. You know, you said it's that yeah. holistic approach and how does it fit with the environment? And when we're, I guess, relating with other people, it's understanding other people and really valuing the diversity that they bring. Exactly. I mean, I would not be able to do my job half as well if I didn't have ADHD. Yeah. Because I can make connections and, and yeah. spring from one thought to the next yes. a lot faster as yes. a result of my neurodivergence. Yeah. But yeah. it does come with some side effects. Yeah, yeah. 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 And oh, that's been beautiful, Ren. That's been a really insightful conversation around your, you know, being a canine behaviorist, but also about you as a person what's next for you Ren what's next uh, well I'm in the process of hiring and interviewing new people yeah. we're getting dog walkers and stuff yeah. like that in and I'm in the process of getting a facility for us so that we have a controlled environment to work in oh wow but it's it's taking a really long time because yeah. you know ACT zoning laws suck yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's that's kind of what we're working on at the moment and ideally what I'd love to be able to do is just do the behavior stuff and have sort of other people working the uh the sort of the walks and the obedience work so then I can start focusing on other things as well you know getting more qualifications and doing more study and maybe you know going out and doing some other special interest work as well so I love that I really love that so growing the business and so what is the business? Just where can people find you? So the business is Bowtie Dog Training, as in the little thing you wear around your neck. It is yeah. for dogs with manners. Yeah, that's it. So um, our website is bowtiedogtraining.info, or you can catch up with us on Facebook um, or Instagram if you want yeah. to. But, yeah, that's probably the easiest way to find us. Yeah, and for those of you that are listening, because the podcast goes out, very excitedly around the world so Ren is here in Canberra with me in Australia but I'm sure if you wanted to have some advice and a consultation maybe not a or fly we do do offer video consults we do offer video consults and consults over the phone I prefer video video consults because then I can see what's going on exactly Um, if it's a particularly complicated issue we may refer you on to somebody in your vicinity yeah just because it's much easier to work with a dog when they you have them right in front of you. <laughs> yes, yes. But I, we got a lot of insight from you, even just with that initial consultation, just learning about things. So, Ren, that has just been an absolutely beautiful conversation. Hugs and happiness to you. And thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. 
You can spread the love by sharing it with a friend so she can have a little bit of what we had today. And don't forget to rate and review so we can get it into as many hearts and ears as possible. You can keep the conversation going on my Happiness Hive socials. And if you'd like some more high vibe happiness in your life, come and join me in our community of inspired and motivated women at the Happiness Lounge. This is my online membership club and your central hub for everything you will need to be truly happy and bounce out of bed every day living and loving your best and most beautiful life. To find out more, pop over to the Happiness Hive website and click on the link working with Catherine. Until next time, big hugs and happiness.